you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, like last week, we'll be looking at verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. We're in the second week of our series on the mission of Trinity. Last week we looked at uh, community of believers. This week we're going to be looking at worship for the glory of God. So Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and finding favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray, amen. So as I mentioned, we are going through a three-week series on the mission of Trinity, uh, who God has called us to be as a church, and we've been using Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, uh, this great passage about the early church and what they did soon after the, the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and how they lived their lives together, how they lived the gospel together. And we have, uh, as a session, have developed a mission statement as a church and we talked last week about the importance of a mission statement, why we have that, uh, to keep our eyes on the prize where God is leading us as a church. There's a lot of things that we could do, that are a lot of great things that we could do for Christ and His kingdom. But what has He called us specifically to here at Trinity? And if you have your insert, one of the many that are in your bulletins, uh, one of them is uh, notes for the sermon. It has the sermon title up there, The Mission of Trinity, Worship for the Glory of God. And right underneath that, you see our mission statement. And I wanted to read that again for you. The Trinity Fellowship Church desires to glorify God by equipping a community of believers to worship God and be witnesses of Him in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. This is who we are. This is what we're about. So last week, we talked about the fact that we are a community of believers and what that looks like. We have the beauty of a baptism this morning as Liam was uh, invited into our fellowship, into our community as, uh, as a covenant member. 
This week we move on to worship. And next week what we're going to do is talk about our witness. So this week is worship. And uh, I wish we had the time to discuss all that we possibly could about worship to exhaust that topic. Uh, unfortunately, it would take uh, many, many Sundays to do that. And uh, Heath and I were talking about the fact of doing a Sunday school class at one point about worship, about what we do uh, to explain uh, the elements of worship and how important they are. Uh, this topic of worship is usually a contentious one. It has incited arguments, it has caused people to leave churches, it has split churches, it has uh, caused grief in denominations. Uh, we even have had what uh, evangelicals have referred to as worship wars as we debate this topic of worship. Uh, the issue is not whether or not we should worship. We should. We know that. Uh, we all agree that God created us as worshipers. The first question and answer of our catechism that we, that we stated as our affirmation of faith says, what's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We are worshipers. So this morning we're not going to debate whether or not worship is appropriate. You wouldn't be here if you didn't think that it was. Um, hopefully we'll all agree on that point. But we're going to talk about the, the how of worship. How are we to worship? And we're going to operate from a few fun, fundamental assumptions here. First of all, that God did create us in His image for the purpose of glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. Also, God, because of His nature, because of who He is, is worthy of our worship. In Revelation 4, verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. So God created us as worshipers, and He is worthy of our worship. The fall did not change the fact that we are worshipers. We worship other things now, unfortunately, because of the fall and because of sin in our lives. But we are still worshipers. Christ, what He has done through His death on the cross, has reinstated our hearts. Has inclined our hearts now back to God so that we can worship properly. Through His blood, our hearts have been cleansed. So instead of worshiping the creation, which we are, uh, have the tendency to do, Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, draws us back into proper relationship with God and proper worship of Him. So the question is then, how should we worship? As I was preparing this past week, um, uh, five points came to mind. There could be many more, um, but there's five that we're going to look at this morning. They all start with the letter C. Um, they are written there in your notes. Uh, we're going to look at worship that is conformed to Scripture, worship that is covenantal, communal, contemporary, and continuous. So when we're talking about how we should be worshiping, the first place that we start is Scripture. So we start with conformed to Scripture. 
We can't do just whatever we want in worship. That's not how God has designed it. Instead, He has given us His Word as a guide for us. Not everything that we do and slap the label of worship on it is actually pleasing to God. And we need to understand that. If you look at the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, both were worshipers. Both brought offerings to God. God accepted Abel's offering. He did not accept Cain's offering because of the heart. So there are guidelines that God has given us in worship. Through His Word, He gives us instruction on what we should and should not be doing. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who is talking with Jesus at the well asks Him about worship. And in His response to her, Jesus tells her plainly that worship of God must be done in spirit and in truth. And what is our ultimate determination of truth? It's God's Word. It's His Word. Scripture is the ultimate determination of what we should be doing in Scripture, so we look at Scripture to inform us on the methods of our worship. Now, we don't have time to discuss all that the Bible says about what we should be doing in worship. But here's a few verses that, that, um, that inform us. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Notice it doesn't say good singing or perfect singing. It says make a joyful noise. So we come before the Lord with our voices. It says in 1 Chronicles 16, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. We just collected tithes and offerings because that is what Scripture calls us to do. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's not just one type of song that we sing. We don't sing just straight from, from the psalms. We sing hymns. We sing spiritual songs because we believe Scripture gives us warrant uh, to do that. Our catechism also enlightens us in uh, Westminster Confession 21. Point one says the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and the devices of man or the suggestions of Satan or any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So Scripture conforms our worship. What we should be doing uh, is from the Word. Because our worship is conformed to Scripture, worship, therefore, is also covenantal in nature. So what do I mean by that? Um, think of also conversational, another C word there. Well, what does it mean to be covenantal? Well, we believe that God relates to His people in terms of covenant, that He has Descended to us, uh, created a relationship with us through his covenant. The baptism of Liam this morning was a sign and a seal of this covenant relationship that we have with the Lord. He has promised that he would be our God, that we will be his people. And what does he expect from us in terms of this covenant? Perfect obedience to him. That's what he expects from us. 
But because of our sin, we can't. We cannot perfectly obey God. And he knew that we could never. And so it was his plan from the beginning to keep this covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. Worship, then, is a covenant renewal ceremony. I was in college taking a class on worship, and this was first presented to me uh, during that class, and it opened my eyes to what we do in worship. We are renewing the covenant that God has made with us. If you take your bulletins out and look at our liturgy, the order of worship that we go through, there's a reason why we do the things that we do. Yes, we have our welcome and announcements, but we have a call to worship because God is the one who has called us into relationship with Him. We praise God because that is what we are called to do in Scripture. We have this invocation, which means that we invoke, we ask for the Holy Spirit's presence among us. And then we have our confession of sin because we realize that we cannot keep this covenant on our own. We break it in thought, word, and deed on a daily basis. And so we come confessing our sins. And God then assures us of His pardon. Assures us of His pardoning grace to us through Christ. We had our baptism this morning, which is a sign of the covenant relationship that we have. We give our offerings of praise back to Him. We sing the doxology, we have prayers, and then we read God's Word. And God speaks to us. Our liturgy is a dialogue between us and God. When we worship, God is speaking to us and we are responding in turn to Him. He calls us to worship and we respond with praise. He calls us to confess our sins so we repent He speaks to us through His Word, and we respond in faith, in love, and in obedience through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is relational. It is conversational. It is covenantal. Not only is it conformed to Scripture, not only is it covenantal, but it's also communal. I know we talked about that a lot last week, being a community of believers But some important things need to be said about worshiping in community. Because there are these horizontal relationships that we have in in worship. Um, The relationship that we have with God. Sorry, that is vertical. I do know the difference between horizontal and vertical. Uh, We have a vertical relationship with God in worship. But we also have horizontal relationships with each other as well. Worship is first and foremost directed to God. But as John Frame points out in his book, Worship in Spirit and Truth, he says, in worship we should not be so preoccupied with God that we ignore each other. Worship also is about community, about each other. We recently, as a family, read through the biography of George Mueller. Uh, We read that to our children. They loved it. Highly recommend it. One of the first churches that he became a pastor of was a small church in England. And the church wanted to pay him a good salary, but the money that it was receiving to pay him was from pew rental. This is not a practice that we have in here, uh, although we do sometimes have assigned seating. It's, you know, um, it's not official. 
Uh, but in that day and age, what they would do is they would rent a pew. They would give their money to the church and have their pew reserved. As you can imagine, the best ones were in the front, and so those who could afford it sat at the front. Obviously, those who could not afford it then sat at the back. George, George despised this practice because of the separation that it was causing, this class warfare, uh, the separation between the rich and the poor. And he told them that this had to stop if they wanted him to be their pastor. In fact, he went even so far as to say that he would not even take a salary from the church because he believed that God would provide for him. But this practice was dividing the congregation when in reality worship should be bringing us together. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26, Paul says um, concerning worship that all things should be done for building each other up. And we saw that last week that the Bible shows us how we need to be treating each other. And we need to love each other, welcome each other, welcome one another, or instruct one another, live in harmony with one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, submit to one another, confess our sins to each other, encourage one another. Not only should we be acting in this manner when we're outside of these four walls, but also when we are inside worshiping together. So let me give you a practical example of what it means to be communal. And I'm going to use Ron Plate. Uh, Ron, are you in here? Where are you, Ron? Thank you. So um, uh, last month when Ron was up front here, um, after I got up and started preaching, I noticed that Ron was sitting with my family. That was awesome for me to be able to see that he was helping my wife uh, take care of our children during worship so that she also could participate in worship. It is hard as a parent, as many of you know, or know from the past, that it's hard to have children in worship. But as we talked about last week, that is so important because they're part of the community. They're part of the family of God. So, please do this. If that means uh, someone having to get up in the middle and walk across the aisle to help someone with a child, that's fine. If that means um, sitting beside someone to, to, to help an unruly child, that's okay. We're going to have unruly children. They're sinners. It happens. And we're going to show parents grace. Uh, parents, if you have an unruly child and uh, you need to get up, that's okay. That's not going to be a distraction to us. We appreciate the fact that children are here. Uh, so, Ron, thank you for your example uh, we want to be a community that helps each other even in worship. So parents, if someone slides in next to you, consider it joy when someone comes to help you. That's awesome. It's not because you're inadequate as a parent. That's not the case. It's because we as a community have the opportunity to help each other. And it's a, it's a very beautiful thing, and I love to see it happen. Um, not only do we get to help each other in parenting our children, uh, but it means that we get to participate in worship, not just as spectators. Uh, God has given us each gifts to edify the body of Christ. Heath leads us in worship by playing the guitar. Uh, Lindsay and Beth and others have led us with their voices. Uh, John Hawk has played the djembe for us. Um, but it goes beyond just leading in music. 
Um, we all have other gifts as well. Handing out bulletins, collecting the offering, praying. Next week, uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to come down and take requests from the congregation. Uh, but I wanted to warn you, we're going to do it a little differently next week. Uh, as an act of community and to, to share our gifts with one another. Uh, as I collect offerings, uh, I'm sorry, I collect the, the requests, uh, I'm also going to ask people in the congregation to pray during that time. To take an opportunity uh, to stand up and pray for those requests during our time of pastoral prayer. Uh, for some of you, the thought of praying in public is just about the greatest fear imaginable. That's okay. I'm never going to force someone to, to pray. Um, I understand that. That's okay. But we are a family here. We're not going to judge other people based on their eloquence or based on the content of their prayers. Uh, that is not what we as a Christian community do. There's other ways to participate, giving a children's sermon, sharing your testimony, um, a lot of different ways. Uh, Ken Hawk, thank you this morning for being willing to pass out bulletins and for taking the offering this morning. I signed you up. He isn't the only one. Every man in the congregation has been signed up. You've been voluntold as uh, a new word that I've come across. I think Glenn Vanank uh, told me that one. Um, to, to hand out bulletins and to collect the offering. It's very simple. If it is your first time, I promise I will not ask you to pray in front of the congregation. So, Ken Hawk, as you see, I, I didn't make you do that. Uh, we have some veterans who are, are willing to do that. Um, but, uh, but you have been voluntold to, uh, to help out there. And it's a way that we can just be together as a community. Uh, fathers and sons uh, can do that together as well. Because our worship is communal. Not only does it have that vertical component, but it has the horizontal component as well. Uh, we are here for the worship of our God and for the encouragement of one another. So it's conformed to Scripture, it's covenantal, it's communal, and it is also contemporary. I know this is going to cause a little uh, maybe contentiousness here, but I want you to understand what I mean by contemporary. Um, we do worship in a way that we can understand. I do not speak in Latin or in a language that you do not understand. I use English. I use the common vernacular. Uh, we have our Bibles in, uh, in English. So we worship in a way and communicate to each other and God in a way that we all can understand. We use a style of language that is intelligible. Uh, we also use modern instruments and modern music. In the Psalms, uh, Psalm 150, verses 3 through 5, David says, Praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, with tambourine and dance, with strings and pipe, Praise Him with the sounding cymbals, with loud and clashing cymbals. Now, I don't know if the guitar was invented back then. I know the piano wasn't. But he says, praise Him with the strings. And so that's what we do. We have no problem using various instruments here in worship. However, the music of the church should never and will never turn into entertainment or to performance. We did not hire Heath so that he would sing for us. We hired Heath so that he could lead us into the throne room, so that he could use his skills uh, to help us engage in worship, to lead us to the throne of grace. We use modern songs and modern tunes. 
uh, the indelible grace movement that has swept through the PCA and other denominations as well has this great um, the concept of putting old hymns to new music. And they're beautiful. And we sing several of them. There's some great worship music that's even being written today. Is all of it great? No, it's not. But the hymns that we sing were modern at one time in their day and age. It may have been several hundred years ago, um, but they were modern as well. Uh, in Christ Alone is one of our favorites. It was sung uh, at Stephanie and I's wedding. Um, we can learn and sing modern worship as well. So that's what I mean by contemporary. We're not going to rock out and have entertainment and a performance here. Uh, I know that's sometimes what I think when I think of contemporary. But we're going to worship in a way that we can communicate well to each other and to God in ways that we can understand. Not throwing away tradition, but also not getting wrapped up in traditionalism. Another example. Uh, not all of us continue or use a printed Bible anymore. I know that some of you out there are using your phone or a Kindle or an iPad. That's fine. We're not going to throw out God's Word. But if we can access God's Word on a, on a device, that's okay. Make sure you turn it on silent so that we don't hear it. Um, but if you bring that in, that's okay. That is okay. So, finally, continuous. Worship is also continuous. It doesn't just happen on Sundays. Instead, God created us for worship. He didn't create us just for one day. He created us for each and every day. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So how do we worship on other days as well? Uh, well, we worship privately by ourselves because Jesus did that. He spent time by himself in prayer with his Father in heaven, and I highly recommend that. Uh, it's good and edifying practice to worship God privately and personally, reading his word, spending time in prayer. Um, but we also do it through family worship. Uh, I know that this is a struggle sometimes for families. Um, men in particular, I want to talk to you as fathers. Uh, it is your calling as the priest in your households to lead your family in worship. Um, it is your duty and your joy. Um, that doesn't mean that you have something like we have on a Sunday morning where you sit together and you have your hymnal and uh, you stand up and sit down. But you are called to lead your family in reading of the Word and of prayer, and yes, even singing. I know that uh, that causes a lot of fear and anxiety, like how am I supposed to do that? Uh, there is a great little book out there for those of you who have young ones. It's called Long Story Short. Um, if you want to know anything about it, you can ask Leslie and Aaron Wheat. Uh, they've been using it. Highly recommend it. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Because sometimes if you try to go any longer than that, it's really hard with children. Um, but uh, devotionals that can last just 10 minutes a day. I think that's important for us. And as your pastor, I know that it is my duty to assist you, to help you to engage your family in worship. Because what Sunday is, 
is two things. It's a culmination of the week's worth of worship, what we do on a daily basis. And it's also an encouragement for a new week worth of worship as we go out into the world to offer our bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices. So as we conclude this morning, worship is conformed to Scripture. It is covenantal. It is communal. It is contemporary. And it is continuous. Our calling is to offer our bodies to the Lord as living sacrifice. Christ displayed for us what a life of complete worship before the face of God truly looks like. Everything that He did was directed toward the glory of His Father in heaven. He was the ultimate living sacrifice for us. Not only through His death on the cross, but also also through the life that He lived. His very life was one of sacrifice. And the beauty of the Gospel is this that Christ has made it possible once again for us to worship God by rescuing us from the power of sin in our lives through His death on the cross. So instead of our hearts being ruled by sin, the Holy Spirit enters in and turns our hearts towards God, who is to be forever praised. And because of Christ, we have this joy that drives our worship, and in fact drives all our lives. That our worship is a response to the great and saving work that He has done in us. Done on our behalf, so that in reality, all of our worship, and therefore all of our lives, are one big thank you to God. And because of Christ, our worship doesn't end here on this earth. Instead, our worship continues into eternity, where we will worship God with the multitudes before the throne of grace, saying, Amen. Praise and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. And as we come before you not only today, but each and every moment of our lives, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. That our worship would be conformed to your holy scripture, done in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you, using our example of Jesus and how he worshiped you, surrendering himself completely to you. Lord, we will fail. And when we do, I pray that you would raise us up. Give us mercy and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.